Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 43, The Replacements from 2000. We've entered a new decade, we've entered a new century, we've entered a new millennium. A brand new day for Keanu Club. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And back with us, we have our year 2000 expert, Dan Hayden. Hello, Dan. Hey, how are you, Joey? Mike, how are you? Hi. So we just figured out before we started recording that the only episode you did for Cage Club was Gone in 60 Seconds, which also came out in 2000. So whatever we do next, I want to make sure you do one movie. Hopefully it's a great movie or hopefully it's like, you know, a big movie and it came out in the year 2000. Keep this streak alive. Well, I could definitely do that for you guys, considering the fact that this movie in particular, I do have a fond memory. I went with my buddy and his brother. And as soon as the replacements was over, we snuck into Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. Oh, (laughs) You could maybe do some Kevin Bacon. Oh. I was there in theaters for Hollow Man. (laughs) We could do Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and do every movie by anybody who's ever been within Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and just never end the podcast. I know what I'm doing the rest of my life. Oh, God. So, Mike, you had never seen this movie, I don't think, and I'd only seen clips from it. I don't think I'd ever seen it from beginning to end. I think I've probably seen most of the second half of it, but... I counted it as a new movie. So what did you think as a conversion to sports movie enthusiast, as we're slowly turning you into over these past, you know, couple months, what did you think, Mike? I actually was kind of surprised. I was laughing a lot through this movie. Now, I'm not sure if that means it's a good movie, but it won me over in the end. Uh, And I am, you know, like Joey, like we kind of, if you listen close, you can tell I'm not much of a sports fan. I don't watch football. I don't really follow any other sports closely. I don't watch a lot of sports films, but I do... I have seen big ones like, you know, A League of Their Own is great and like Major League and other baseball movies I I guess I gravitate towards more. But this wasn't on like a list of mine or anything like that, that it was like a need to see football film. And I wasn't even aware entirely that it was 100% going to be a comedy. Well, it started, but as it all started to dawn on me, I really feel like I was able to accept it. And like I said, I I had a bunch of laughs, so um, I was entertained. I think this is the kind of movie, and maybe Duke can, or Dan or Duke, I guess we're, we're, we're going to call you Duke, and uh, I think maybe Duke can back me up on this. To an extent, I think the less you know about football, the more you enjoy this movie. I think the second half of this movie is a lot better than the first half, but the first half in terms of like why the players are striking and different things about, actually about like the mechanics of football and like building a team and the practice and like the plays and everything it's all like kind of hard to process like if you turn your brain off and just enjoy this as like a fun sports comedy that's great but if you're trying to take notes on this to be able to talk about it for an hour and you really know football i think that some of the stuff you know like the players striking so that they can just make more money to pay more for their ferrari insurance as opposed to like in real life the average and this is i don't this is as about as serious as i'm gonna get in terms of this whole podcast but like the average career span of an nfl player is like a year and a half or two years and so players strike so that they can actually be able to like afford a lifestyle at all after they retire so like those kind of things like it's it's played up for kind of comedic effect whereas if you look at it in real life it doesn't necessarily make sense but if like i said if you're able to turn your brain off or if you don't really know much about football or as much about football as you know other people it might be easier to enjoy what do you think about that duke I think that this movie doesn't take itself very seriously. I think that there are moments where it kind of dabbles into wanting to be a serious football movie, but nothing... Nothing crazy. I mean, they don't get too, too much into the technicalities of football. I mean, aside from, you know, the penalties that plague the team when they start. Actually, going back to what you were saying about, I had no idea that that's really the span of a, of a, you know, regular Joe football player, a year and a half. Wow. Because you think about the league, you think about, like, superstar guys, like, you know, Tom Brady's 39 now, this is his, like, 17th season or whatever it is, and you're like, oh, these guys are around forever, but, like, the people that you don't know on a weekly basis, basically everyone you don't draft in fantasy football is, you know in and out of the league in a year or two. And there's so many of them, because every team has 53 players, plus practice squad guys and whatever, that they're all in and out of the league so quick that like, if you get hurt or if you get cut or whatever, you're done. And so you spent your whole life and probably 
you know, if you went to college and got drafted by the pros, probably didn't pay a lot of attention in school. Like you focus mostly on football. And so you're kind of screwed. And yeah. so in terms of that sense, there's like that negative side of things. There's also like jokes in this movie about concussions and stuff. And I'm just like, ooh, you know, Shane Falco, Keanu's character talking about how we got three concussions in one game. That's just, just like it's a different world <laughs> now than it was back then. And so if you sort of like ignore all that, this is a lot of fun and it is very funny. But if you're trying to take very meticulous notes and try to figure out the why of things in terms of the movie, things don't really add up. Like once the football actually gets going, it's energetic enough. And Mike, this is exactly what I was talking about when we were talking about the greatest game ever played for Shia, that this is kind of much more visually exciting. I know that football is more exciting than golf, but even though you only get a sense of like where they are in the game, like there's an energy here to the cinema in terms of the actual sporting event. Yeah, absolutely. They just shoot the game. You know, they don't really try and make it stylized at all. And I I appreciate that. Yeah, the thing also to just since we're on the realm of you know, actual real football. This movie is actually based on semi-real events. There was, I believe it was 1987 was the strike, and uh, the Redskins actually did use replacement players. I mean, obviously, the Washington Sentinels in this movie, but and they did have to win three of their last four games. I was looking at IMDb for the trivia, and they said that, that even though they say this is not based on real life, like Duke is right at 87, the teams that they play are the same. Keanu wears the same number as the scab quarterback that they had. <laughs> and they also, the real Redskins had some guy who was just released from jail. And in this movie, they have somebody on like work release. So it's yep. similar in terms of those ways. And I think they also, yeah, like they play the Cowboys and stuff like that. So, you know, as this movie wants you to be like, hey, this is totally like, a, you know, a made up story or whatever. There are actual ties here. And I'm glad you brought that up, Duke. Yep. I also like the fact that they couldn't get the actual licensed team names, yeah. but, but they still got Pat Summerall and John Madden. Yes. <laughs> They're great. I just want to, I want their movie. Give me them as roommates, as like the odd couple. Well, not even the odd couple. They're like the same couple. Whoa! That's the second time tonight a Washington player has been knocked out by his own teammate. You know, there's a rule in sports. Don't do anything great if you can't handle the congratulations. There is? Yep. I mean, you can just play any Madden video game from, like, the first Madden up through, I don't know, 04, 05, or whatever, you know, up to, like, 10 years ago, and they're the commentators on every game. So, like, you, if you grew up playing sports video games, like, you had, or just watching football on TV, they are burned into your brain as, like, this dynamic announcing duo. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, even I knew about them, like, not coming from this world. But, uh, but this is, it, it's, it, you guys are raising, like, a lot of interesting points about the crossover to reality as far as, like, the premise and everything. Like, I don't, I think that for me is the issue, is the premise doesn't work for me. Like, that's why I thought maybe this was going to be a drama, because it was about a football strike and replacement <laughs> scabs. Because that's kind of like a heavy issue to start with a comedy to make light of. I, I kind of think of like Necessary Roughness, the Scott Bakula football movie where he goes back to college to help their ragtag group of misfits. And so I thought maybe as I was watching this, that first, whatever, half hour or so until the team is assembled, I thought maybe it might have just been a lot smoother if they only needed Keanu for some reason, right? Like their football player was injured and their backup player was injured or whatever, and they really had to go find someone in a pinch to save the team in, in that way. And then you could still have the team be these crazy guys, like with all these weird different personalities that are just, you know, hard to get along with at first. And then they learn to be a family. You could sort of follow those same beats that work well in the second half if you mixed up the first one a little bit. You know what I just realized, and this has really nothing to do with this movie, but wasn't Act of Vengeance, the Charles Bronson movie, about a strike? Yes, yeah, the coal miners. So this is like two Keanu movies in the first 43 where the central conflict is a strike, which is crazy because there's so few strike movies, I think, in general. And here we have two in the first, you know, six months or eight months we're doing this. Like, that's weird. Yeah, and that and that took the strike premise seriously, right? Like, I mean, we were laughing at it, but it was trying to play it straight, but they just didn't have the production value to quite pull it off. I just think, like, a little tweak to this in the opening and the rest of it would have played the same. I really do think it's wild. I didn't even think about this. You both caught this without me. It, this movie really takes itself a lot less seriously than what's going on, you know, a strike hit. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about, like, oh, you know, it's this, this fun movie I remember from when I was a kid, Keanu and all these misfits join an NFL team and, you know, make the playoffs. It, it was, always seemed like a lighthearted thing to me. I never thought about the context of how, how bad, you know, the situation actually is. <laughs> 
Well, that's even complicated further by the fact that the original players, the striking players, are such a presence in this movie. And I can't imagine in real life it was like that at all, where they're literally standing outside the stadium, like throwing eggs at the replacement player's bus or setting a tripwire when the guys are running in from the tunnel because they want to make these guys look so bad. Like, hey, you clearly can't win without us pay us our money, and like let's get back to the playoffs. And so that's kind of unbelievable too, but it fits into this world of just, you know, there's a really serious thing going on, but let's have like really kind of comedic, over-the-top antics, just because if we just had a serious, straightforward drama about a striking football team, it would probably be like fought in like the courtroom or like boardrooms, as opposed to on the field. Probably. And there'd be a lot more Keith David. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. He's so wasted in this movie. I mean, he needed to be like an opposing coach or something with more screen time. I do want to say real quick, Keith David praise President of the United States Keith David in the Saints Row video games. So if you want a very high-ranking Keith David, play those games because he plays the as himself, President Keith David. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, I just think, you know, if they had gone the major league route where it's just the team is out of money and it's going to get sold by the next season if they can't make something of themselves and then they pull all these C and D listers out of nowhere with all these unique traits that come together. Yeah, I I dump all of that serious stuff because it even gets to a point where they're tipping over Keanu's car because he's there and like they're beating him up at the bar and and at one point you know after the team sort of bonds one of his linemen threatens those guys with his gun and starts shooting up his car and everything like Mm -hmm. it it just it elevates to a level that goes beyond funny back to sort of like distasteful sometimes and then there's also a lot of that interracial tension between teammates like the guy calling him Japanese and Chinese and that it doesn't matter it's the same and the other guy again all offended rightfully so like there's things still in here very dated that aren't playing well at all but overall there's still a lot of laughs here and like i said i'm not sure it's a good movie but it's a funny movie it's also way more hyper sexualized than i remember obviously the cheerleaders dance routine is one of the most i guess memorable is the right word i was not (laughs) expecting that i remember that because i remember that was exciting to watch as like a 12 or 13 year old boy on you know watching on tv okay another thing that doesn't make any sense is why are the cheerleaders on strike too like they're not part of like the nfl players Mm -hmm. association but whatever we need to introduce all these new characters i guess so that you know keanu has a new love story i don't know why that needs to happen i don't know why he can't fall in love with like an existing cheerleader but whatever they have cheerleading tryouts and it's like this excuse to bring in all these like girls that would never be cheerleaders just to sort of point at them and make fun of them i guess but then they bring in actual strippers and they sort of like sex up like this sort of you know really super slutty cheerleading squad and so they have this really sexy dance routine in the middle of a game that causes a false start on everybody on the other team but also like later in the bar one of them is miming like the blowjob motion to like the deaf tight end and i'm just like <laughs> where is like what is like this is a pg-13 movie like this is insane i they they never explain annabelle which is brooke langton they never explain if she is a previous cheerleader. Yeah, where'd it, she come from? Yeah, where'd she come from? They never explain that. She's just on the field getting stared at by Keanu when he finally shows up to the stadium at their first practice. Yeah, that whole relationship is very strange. They don't even have a meet cute. Like, I was totally expecting him to bump into the girls making a pyramid while he's trying to, you know, evade a tackle or something like that, and then be like, oh, I got my head up your dress or something. Nice to meet you. Like, that's one way to get to know you. Something. They'd have nothing. Instead, after practice, she's like, you need a lift? And he's like, yeah, need a lift. But it leads to my favorite scene of the movie, where she is just the most insane, erratic driver. Yes. It's out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, that scene happens. Why is she just such a terrible driver, and why well, do they never Because women can't drive, again? obviously. Ha 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 ha. Oh, oh, oh. oh, man, that was so bad. I feel like what they're playing on here is that in high school, stereotypically, that the quarterback dates the head cheerleader. But, like, that's not true in the NFL. People, like, are adults with lives. Like, that doesn't really... Right, right? Isn't there some kind of... Thing? They even I say think, it's, yeah, like, I think, a yeah. conflict. Mm-hmm. You can't really date players and stuff so right i mean what the hell we're breaking all the rules we but yeah they're also <laughs> they're also all temp staff so i mean they can all do whatever they want like if they get fired like okay they're just gonna miss out on two games that is a very interesting point about the cheerleaders and her in general because even at the end they try to play it off like the original quarterback and her were supposedly you know he's got like one line where he's like you won't treat her right and keanu's like what do you know or something and i'm like are they trying to 
say that there's history here between the three of them somehow or another? And- well, even though, you know, Martel really does not have any scenes with Annabelle, I mean, it, just him saying that to Keanu shakes him up enough to not go out on his date with her. Like, out of nowhere, he has that much power to be like, hey, you know, you don't drag her down with you. And he's like, oh, I guess I'm going to drag her down with me. I better not go on this date. I also had a question about the level of Keanu's disgrace was that he's carrying around because they mentioned he had one terrible game, the Sugar yep. Bowl, where yep. they lost like by 43 points. You know who I am? Yeah. Jimmy McGinty. Old coach from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, we met just before the Sugar Bowl. I remember. Hell of a game, that Sugar Bowl. What'd you lose that by, 40 points? That would be 45. Sometimes a game like that uh, really sticks with you. You can never shake it off. Got three concussions to prove it. That's why girls don't play the game. Now, would that disgrace a player enough to end his own career and go well, live on a boat somewhere? They explain it a bunch of times. They, they mention it every scene. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're the guy with the sugar bowl. And the other guy's like, here, want some sugar from this bowl? I mean, it gets, and they don't say that, but I mean, it but, gets bad. But Gene Hackman does address it. He says, it's right when he, call, when he meets him on his boat. He's like, you know, that they had met before the sugar bowl and that, you know, you never shake off three concussions, and then Gene Hackman explains to Keanu, like, you know, your teammates leaned on you that whole season, and that's why you were so bad in that Sugar Bowl game, and that you had so much more to learn, and if you had just stuck with it, you would have become a really good quarterback, but you took your disgrace so seriously from that Sugar Bowl game, and you never recovered, never went back on the horse. I see. I wish that was laced throughout the movie a little bit more, because it feels like they just come down on him so much that he would give up again halfway through the movie just for being reminded of what a shitty game that was. They don't go into this at all in the movie, but in terms of if you're trying to come up with some kind of backstory or explanation, what's weird about college football is is that not every college football quarterback that's really successful is going to be a successful pro quarterback. I mean, like, look at Jared Goff. I mean, he's on a terrible team. You know, the starting Rams quarterback now played a very specific type of offense in college that does not translate well to the pros. And so there are also more extreme examples of guys who, like, won the Heisman Trophy and then, like, didn't even get drafted as a quarterback. Where they just try out, they have to become like a receiver. Like they're such like a good athlete, but just whatever their skill set is, they're not going to translate to quarterback. There's also the idea that if you have a bad game in college, that's all you need to see to like know that he's not going to be a good quarterback in the pros. And so, in theory, I guess if you get embarrassed on a national stage in a title game or in a bowl game or whatever, that might be enough to not get drafted. Like I don't think they ever really like they never say that he ever made it to the pros at all. Like it just seems like he gave up completely after that game, right? Yeah, that's what makes it even more strange. It's like it would make more sense to me that he went on to get drafted but still couldn't perform under pressure and just became like a has-been immediately kind of situation because I just don't feel the disgrace enough. And plus, what has he been doing with his life? We have no idea what his job has been and anything like that. Like, we see him scraping barnacles off the bottom of his boat in a pretty interesting shot where he's playing football underwater, underwater by football himself. football with his trophy. <laughs> Like, at some point he threw that overboard, but we don't have any sense that he's an alcoholic because of this experience or that he can't hold a job because he doesn't believe in himself. I mean, there's there's areas where they could have focused on that if they wanted to, and I guess that that isn't funny, so we're not (laughs) for for that kind of stuff. It's also a long movie for a comedy football movie. I mean, you couldn't throw any more development. I mean, I guess seeing the trophy underwater like that was just like, oh, he must have gotten really pissed and thrown his All-American trophy overboard, but they probably could have explained it He doesn't have anger issues. Like, that would have been great if, like, he had anger issues or something, and it would have... No, he's just a level-headed guy. Like, he's just normal. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They just need more time for songs in this, like singing I Will Survive three or four times and, like, you know, all the other... insane music drops. I think Duke is right, because like, this movie is like an hour 58, and I'm sure that somewhere maybe some executive was like, you can't put out a two-hour movie. It's like, no, it's not two hours. It's under two hours. Don't worry. Like, you can't add anything else to this movie. It could be, I don't know what you would cut out, but like, it could be or maybe should be 20 minutes shorter. Like, I guess get to the football a little bit sooner, but you also need the bonding. I have no idea. There's... Unfortunately, you got to cut out all that cheerleader stuff, I feel, and somehow make the girl the owner of the team or the coach. Like, that would have been unorthodox if half 
Ackman was the owner and he hires like a female coach and then that becomes like part of a conflict that the male players need to get over or accept or something like and then she teaches them some way to beat the team that has a male coach because she's you know I don't know something it, they could have switched up the dynamic and slimmed this down and trimmed the running time well there also is that woman in the owner's box who just like doesn't have anything to do in the entire movie she's just like next to the owner the entire time just yelling about things make her the owner or something. Yep. obviously just use more Keith David That too, yeah, man. I'm going to go watch They Live. What we need to talk about, I think, the most important thing about this movie is how it's sort of a spiritual sequel to Point Break. Yeah, he looks a lot like Utah, and he is a football player. He's once again from, from Ohio State University. He went to Ohio State in both movies. Wow, this is what happened after, oh man, after the confrontation with Bodie. This is where he went. We always speculated. Where did he go? He, he, I mean, he lives on a boat, so he's near the water. I was getting, I don't know if it's just because I knew that this was going to be another sort of him as a quarterback movie, but I was getting major Lori Petty relationship vibes off of him and Annabelle in this movie. And, you know, if you add in Martell and you add him as the Bodie character, I mean, there's sort of like a love triangle there, too. So in a lot of ways, this is kind of where Johnny Utah ends up. I mean, changes his name to Shane Falco, I guess, rewrites history <laughs> so that he had a different name at Ohio State. I mean, instead of getting injured, he choked. Or I guess he, instead of injuring his knee, he just injured his brain. Wow. I mean, we're stretching here, but that, that I mean, I'm good with it. I could, I could definitely <laughs> say that I think, I think our homework is done and that's exactly what has happened. Yeah, I accept that as one of the less crazy internet theories out well, there. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, didn't we talk about, on some episode, I think, we had that crazy, you know, movies that, like, became sequels for other things? Like, do you remember that list? This is sort of, like, I don't think this is on that list, but, like, it could be. I think there's enough evidence to support. I mean, other movies have less evidence on that list, probably, than this one does, but absolutely, the spirit is there. I get the sense that he's similar because he's like broken from the experience he would make sense that he could change his name and hide somewhere and all that stuff because he was in the fbi so yeah he has the connections and the tactics to disappear and reemerge somewhere as someone else what i did like to see was that you mentioned earlier mike he's got the long hair which is a nice return i mean the last movie that we did was the matrix and so he's definitely you know i feel like i mean obviously the matrix made him you know a, a, like a super superstar like he was big before that but like that's you know one of the biggest movies of all time but i i feel like after you know a year and a half of training or whatever they did for that movie he's like man i'm just gonna let my hair grow out like, i'm just gonna be go back to like you know what i used to be <laughs> but he also and this is interesting given the next two movies which i know nothing about other than i know it's sort of the fat keanu chronicles in the watcher and the gift he gained 23 pounds for this movie and so he's not out of shape here but early on in the movie he like changes shirts or like lifts his shirt up and he's not cut like i would imagine he was in the matrix you know what i mean he's got a little bit of a belly like i'm sure most of the weight that he added was muscle so he could play this football player but we're gonna get these next two movies i you know i have not seen any videos or images of him in either of these next two movies all i know is that multiple people have said these are the fat keanu movies so i'm just trying to track that narrative up through the watcher and the gift yeah well, i think i've been noticing lately just how much bigger keanu is than i realized as a person in general like he just can be imposing and in this he you know like it's kind of funny how you mentioned that he's bigger but he's around football players so he doesn't seem big like he just looks normal sized or even thin and he's also around the biggest john favreau i've ever seen in oh my, life. my god my god guys favreau steals this movie he steals it so easily i didn't realize it was him for like 45 minutes because he looks so different from like what i expect him to be because he's clean shaven and he's huge i mean he's wearing that like the neck collar or whatever that like linebackers wear to make him look even bigger but like even without that he's a huge dude in this movie yeah he's gigantic because you know they had all those awkward getting to know the character before you know they're actually on the field he's beating the hell out of a bunch of criminals <laughs> and then later on he's tackling his own teammates on the field during practice he's the one who gets tripped on the wire that the actual players do and he goes plowing into all the cheerleaders you know gene hackman tells him to get the ball at one point during one of the games and gene's worried that he might kill somebody to do it Danny, Danny, Danny. i need that ball Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are you going to get me the ball? I'll get you the ball. I hope he doesn't kill somebody. 
Favreau easily steals this movie, and I, you know, I remember watching this, I probably haven't watched this movie in six or seven years, I had no idea that was him, until I had watched it again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's John Favreau, holy crap. <laughs> and like, I want to make it really clear, like, because he's been, you know, heavy, like, sort of overweight and other things, like, he's, I don't know, I mean, we don't see him, like, without a shirt on, but like, he just looks like he just spent six months in the gym just getting as big as he humanly possible in terms of what his body size is like. He is just jacked in this movie, just, you know, he looks like a middle linebacker. Yeah, he looks like he could be, like, an action star or something like that, of that nature, because he's got that really short cropped hair and everything, too, and he's just super aggressive in every scene that he's in. Whether he's being, like, a maniac on the field or being super scary and stoic in the locker room you know like it's always this super intensity that he's bringing to the screen and everything and i also like how in every game his nose is broken so it's got like (laughs) blood coming down from his face like in almost every shot of all the games yeah i was trying to find something about that like i was thinking you know because he's fine up until that first game and then yeah he's he's stitched and he's got like the broken nose i was wondering if maybe that actually happened on set but I couldn't, I couldn't find anything about it. You gotta give a makeup artist something to do, whether you give a big old bruise on Keanu's arm and have to have his arm covered in wild yam, or you break, a, you break Danny Bateman's nose. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give him something to do, right? <laughs> they did all go to three weeks of football training camp before this, so I'm maybe it's possible that throughout the course of that and the films, someone got injured. There must have been like a, I think there was a no hitting Keanu rule on set, but everyone else was pretty much <laughs> up for grabs. And and they also filled in the rest of the extra football players were all like ex players at one point. They all had played football. So like you're getting, they said they were getting, they really were getting hit on those hits huh. and taking real hits for the shots and everything was choreographed, but they didn't hold back. While we're on the topic of other players aside from Keanu, one thing that this movie does that I I don't know if I was expecting, but we talked a lot about when we did Fury for Shia and compared it to Suicide Squad, the other David Ayer movie, they kind of have a Suicide Squad introduction where everybody has like a little clip of who they are set to different music, and I think it works better here because it's not like the biggest songs of all time, it's just like different tones or feels of music. There is, like we meet, I think John Favreau was the SWAT cop? And we have real sort of like thrashy new metal kind of thing where he's just like a one-man wrecking crew, you know, when he busts into this room. Or we have really energetic music when we see Orlando Jones as like a stock boy in a like a bodega, and he's just like the fastest man in the world who just can't catch. So we get like all these different quick introductions. Like we know exactly the type of stereotype they're going to play, and we also have the music to match, but because it's all instrumental, it's not got, like I still cringe about that Suicide Squad introduction because it's so on the nose, and here it's similar, but it's understated enough where it just makes sense. Like it works. Like it's like what Suicide Squad was going for and just went too far to hit. Yeah, this movie sets itself up with its supporting cast members, I think, pretty well. They introduce them, like you said, you know, just a little bit about each of them. And then, you know, they bring in the sumo guy on the field. They don't really have to... And they bring in the guy who plays Wilkerson, the the inmate. They bring him in also. And the kicker, too, right? No, the kicker has an introduction with the pub. Actually, besides Favreau, I like the guy who plays Nigel. He's probably my my second favorite character. Isn't that Reese Iffins or something? He played the lizard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, also, about that character, in one game, just like in the middle of the season, he kicks a 65-yard field goal, which is which would be an NFL record. Like, when this movie was shot, the record was 63, and then since then, somebody hit a 64. But he just, like, casually drills a 65-yard field goal like it's nothing, and also drills it to the point where he would have cleared it from, like, well over 70. Like, he just is the greatest kicker of anything in history, and... I guess his only downside is that he smokes on the field and owes a bunch of mobsters a lot of money. But he's wiry. He's wiry. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting where they halfway went with the idea that we should form this team from other sports in a way. So you've got like the soccer player as the field goal kicker. You have the sumo wrestler as the line man, you know, and like I thought they were going to take it a little further than that and sort of one of the jokes might be these people from their different walks of life or their different sports are going to bring that skill to football and that's what's going to make the team you know all that different with their new abilities together but i thought you know for what they did i thought it was 
clever enough. And the sumo guy showed up. I just threw my arms up. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> just, <laughs> just keep them coming. <laughs> what does he scream when he gets angry? It's a the, Nazi sky or something. He does have his own catchphrase, though, which is kind of cool. <laughs> In that regard, it kind of makes sense, but it's also not 100%. Like the, It's like the rest of the movie. It makes sense to a point, but then if you keep thinking about it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, he's a sumo wrestler. He's used to pushing people around, which, if you think about it, is exactly like pass blocking. It's just like, well, yeah, I guess, like, kind of, but not really. Like, there's so many more... In- I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of intricacies to sumo wrestling that I don't know about, but if sumo wrestlers became great offensive linemen, they would exist in the real NFL. And so, like, the idea might is, like, funny enough and similar enough to work for the movie, but again, it's like the rest of the things, like, if you actually think about it, it's like wait a minute like that doesn't exactly line up i remember when i was a kid a lot of people talking about it corners and guys that are rushing the ball a lot they take ballet so that they can learn better you know spinning and turning techniques so they can evade yeah i always heard that growing up too is that football players all danced or took dance class just to know how to be light on their feet and move quick it makes sense it does make sense so they should have had a wide receiver who was in the Russian ballet and got like <laughs> deported or needed asylum, and then he came <laughs> to Washington and joined the team. Going back to the sumo wrestler, just to note, he gets the one early 2000 F-bombs that all PG-13 movies had. Oh, I totally missed it. Yeah, it's after the first practice. He's sitting there with the other two offensive linemen or defensive guys, and they're eating Chinese spare ribs. And he says, you know, yeah, it's a Chinese spare rib. If you don't like it, then get the fuck out. What the hell is this? Chinese spare ribs. You don't want them? Get the fuck out of here. Oh. Oh, wow. What was that about, though? I mean, I feel like a lot of movies back then, PG-13 movies, were allowed one F-bomb. Well, yeah, that's that's still the, the rule today, that you can use it one time in a movie... Except you can't use it, like, in a sexual manner. It has to be in some other way. Except now there's also, like, exceptions. Like, in The Martian, it's used, like, two or three times, and that's still PG-13. Like, it's all stupid. Like, the MPAA is really stupid in terms of a lot of different things. You can apply for, like, special exemptions, but yeah, I mean, the rule of thumb is that you can you get one in a PG-13 movie, and so whenever, like, I, I, I didn't even think about it, like, I, I would have made a note of it if I caught it, but, like, we just watched New Year's Eve for Zack Attack, and there's one in that movie where I want to say it's Jessica Biel giving birth, and she lets out, like, a real good one there, and I was like, okay, like, that's a good use of it. Like, here, just sort of, like, it doesn't need to be there, but it also, I guess, works. But I I usually try to pay attention when there's a PG-13 movie. It's like the search for fuck. Like, where is it gonna be? (laughs) Who's gonna say it, and what what context is it gonna be? Well, it it seems kind of wasted in this context. Like, I mean, they really just sort of threw it out there because they could. Like, they really should have used it at a moment where they had Hackman or Keanu scream it at some point. Give use it, it to your star and make it worth it. Use it for Nigel hitting that 65-yard field goal, man. Just be like, <laughs> fuck yes, that's a world record, you know? That would have been Especially perfect. Especially in his Irish accent, would have been great. Right, and have him say it on live television after being <laughs> interviewed about it, too. So. One thing I think this movie does really well is capture... I mean, we mentioned it earlier in terms of, like, the actual capture of the action, but the first time that we see Keanu take the field with his flowing hair in that red quarterback jersey, you know, through, like, the mists or whatever that is, that just is cool. Like, it's this isn't an action movie. Like, that's an action star moment. That's the same kind of thing, in a sense, again, another Shia thing, where we watched Bernie Mac get that Michael Bay 360 camera around him. Like, this is not an action movie, or that's not an action moment, but, like, it's shot like that and they like he looks gr- like he looks awesome in that moment yeah he looks like a real football player to me too <laughs> like he's not just playing the part i think that's part of the trickery with the slow-mo shot yeah they they intentionally shot him like the action star i noticed that another time okay so this was kind of funny the first pass that he throws in that practice like he comes out he comes on the field and he's like all right go long and the and the guy goes off and as soon as he throws it it's like a cheap knockoff techno matrix song. Falco. Go. So it's almost like a Neo joke, I thought, in my head. Oh. Like, oh, okay, that's going to be his music. But then the uh, wide receiver like crashes into someone else and doesn't catch the ball at all. And 
That's the joke. I mean, I think the also joke is that like Keanu is such a natural talent that he can uncork like an 80 yard perfect spiral without getting warmed up. Like he just runs on the field with, like here, like go long. He just throws the longest pass in history that I think it's Orlando Jones who just runs like right into the back of that lineman and just falls over. That's also, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in that moment. Yeah. These players are really, really talented for not actually being NFL players and, you know, working in bodegas or having a bar or being cops. They're absurdly talented. Like Gene yeah. Hackman, you know, did a really good job following these guys for all those years like he said he did. Well, also, that's the question. Why is he doing that? You're not a coach. You're not in any kind of scouting capacity, but he he hands over, like, this handwritten list of guys who he says he's been keeping an eye on over the years. Like, to what end? Like, what are you, what are you doing? They do mention Gene Hackman, why he's kind of a misfit. The owner says, you know, he's taking a chance on Jimmy, Gene Hackman's character, after that Dallas mess. They don't mention it, they don't understand exactly what it was, but apparently Hackman is also somewhat of a misfit in his own right. Right. This is like his shot at redemption. Right, yeah, and second chances and all that. So he sees his shot, and he's going to assemble a bunch of people he feels deserve a shot as well. But it is kind of amazing that he knows like all these people. <laughs> it also makes me wonder, why is the coach on strike? Like the coach isn't part of the Players Association either. <laughs> well, you know what else? Why? Okay, so this team is clearly better and making more money for the franchise than the team on strike. Why even bother getting the other team back? Like, well, keep these guys. No, because I mean, the, teams are guys? Pl- the teams they're playing against are also replacement players. So if they played against actual NFL teams, they would get slaughtered. Oh, I wasn't clear on how many teams were striking and if it was the entire, if every team was a replace, like every team had its own movie going on, is what you're saying? They talk about it as though the Sentinels are the only team to strike. Like they, I don't remember how they describe it exactly, but early on you're like, okay, like only they're talking about it. But then you find out that Detroit bought a team of semi-pro players. Like they, you know, what they, they just hired some, I guess, maybe like so a football team. So they just built an expansion team yeah. and they're just like, oh. Mm-hmm. So I think in the world of the movie, every team is on strike. But then, you know, like Duke just mentioned, that at the end, the last game they play against Dallas, Dallas as a team crosses the picket line just like Martell did. And so they play against the actual, whatever the Cowboys are instead of the Cowboys in this movie. I did not pick up on that. I thought the whole joke was that these replacements are better than actual NFL players, no, but they never you know. got a shot because they're criminals or nerdy wells or whatever they are. Okay, I did not really pick up on that. <laughs> Can we talk about the teams themselves for a minute, their mascots? It's funny because the Dallas team, because you just mentioned the Dallas team, they're still the Cowboys. It's a silhouette of a guy on a, on a horse <laughs> with a lasso. They're still the Cowboys. But then, then you get, like, the Phoenix team, they're, like, the Scorpions. And the, the Detroit game, I actually, I, I couldn't tell what they were, but I looked online, and they're credited as the, the Detroit Ironmen. And then... I guess, like, the Motor City, I guess? I guess. Steelworkers? And then the other one was the San Diego game. It's, like, a chess piece of a knight. So maybe the Mustangs or the Knights or, I mean, again, how, how hard would it have been for them to actually get the NFL licensed team names? Well, you'd have to pay a lot of money. I don't think it's, I don't think it's difficult. You just have to pay a lot of money. I mean, Major League had the Indians. It's true. Yeah, they had all the names. They had the Yankees, too. That, that went all in for Major League. But, I mean, how hard would it have been for the writer just to write fake names for all the teams also? Why get so like aloof with just having these bizarre designs on the sides of their helmets or something instead of actually saying like the name of the team that's true it does kind of bother me in movies and sports movies when like there's it doesn't bother me in this movie and i don't know why but like in other stuff when they're like trying to pretend like this is the nfl because they also never say it's the nfl you know it's just like oh, it's like the that's football right team. but they do say don't they say oh no i was thinking of behind the scenes where they're saying like the extras were nfl xfl okay other types of players sorry i thought they had mentioned like xfl in the movie I guess there's pros and cons, because, like, here, you can just... You don't have to worry about disparaging a team. Like, you could portray any or everyone in this league as either, like, great or the worst people on Earth, because you have, like, a defense, oh, this is not based on the Redskins, like, we're the Sentinels, like, all this different stuff, you know? Whereas if you were actually the Redskins and you were playing the Cowboys and you have, you know, some crazy manipulative owner, Jerry Jones might be able to sue you and your production studio for, like, making a mockery at it. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be much more careful. I do prefer, because it feels 
feels more real, but maybe that's why, I mean, this movie doesn't take itself seriously, as we were saying all along. Like, why should it be actual NFL teams? Like, just go over the top with whatever you're doing in every way. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite parts of uh, not a very good movie, but I like it, Basketball, is the <laughs> joke about all the different mascots and the different team names and things like that. And this really feels like they could have slipped a lot of that in just in the background, you know, like just on the sidelines for a couple shots. You just show the other teams, their scab cheerleaders. Like, what did they look like? Like, are they strippers too? Or did they get like actual rockets or something that they're trying yeah. out? Like, they could have peppered it in a little bit more and it might have just fleshed it out a bit and been a bit funnier. They also filmed all four of the games, even though one game is an away game, and it shows they filmed all four of those games in um, Nextel Stadium in Baltimore, or whatever it was at the time. But anyway, the, the game that they're supposed to be in Phoenix, I mean, yes, they changed the color scheme a little bit, and yeah, they paint the, the word Phoenix in the end zone. <laughs> But other than that, you see that they've hung, you know, like drawings of scorpions, like handmade, like stuff that people like, uh, like, you know, on the front row seats would have brought home and put down. And like they peppered those around the stadium a little bit. I mean, again, they could have done a better job. It just seemed like maybe the budget was too thin and they're like, oh, well, we can't make any more real jerseys or signs. So, oh, let's make a bunch of handmade signs from home you know like <laughs> that fans bring to the stadium let's let's do that that'll work that'll save some cash yeah this definitely strikes me as one of those studio films that just gets cranked out you know like this is just going to be a quick cheap comedy we got keanu and hackman but really everyone else in here you know they're not going to command a lot of money at the time i mean maybe orlando jones was kind of hot getting hot around this time yeah, it's not like it's any given Sunday, right? Like, it's not like this no. big dramatic analysis of the system of football or anything. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just this cheap little comedy that gets released in the middle of the year or something, and people mostly catch on cable. So it would have been nice if they could have had more of a, you know, like a budget here or anything, but I think they actually kind of made do. I mean, again, as someone who doesn't watch the game very much, like, I did not really pay attention to the idea that they're not in different stadiums or anything like that. Like, I just like, okay, I mean, that's a football field. That works for me. So, this movie, I just, I didn't even think about it. I usually look it up before we record these, but I didn't until you just brought it up. I want to see how much money it made. It was released in August of 2000, so like you said, just in the middle of the year. Would either of you like to guess how what the budget for this movie was? Remember, this is like the early 2000s where, like, budgets really sort of have, like, no upper limit, it seemed like. But this is still, like, a kind of a modest budget. I mean, like, Duke was just talking about. So what do you think that this movie cost to make? I don't know how much it cost to make. I already know how much it did make. Okay, Mike, how much do you think it cost to make, if you had a guess? It can't be more than, like, $45 million it's, at it's the 50. time. You're very close. How much do you think it made? <laughs> like 20, 15? <laughs> it made 44. It made 44. Oh, wow. How about that? Okay, so it performed. It still lost money, though. Joey, it did make $6 million internationally. It did make $50 million. Oh, it did make... Okay, okay so internationally, <laughs> it broke its budget by $54,000. So eventually, the studio made another sports film. They just didn't make a sequel to The Replacements. That comes down to... <laughs> this is the 10th highest grossing football movie of all time. Okay, this is unrelated to Keanu. Actually, it's not unrelated to Keanu. I'm going to bring it back. Why? Do you know the number one grossing football movie of all time is? Remember the Titans? Maybe? That's number four. It's number four. Think about a tangential Keanu connection. Ooh. I don't know. I'm just going to have to throw out Friday Night Lights because everyone seems to love that movie and I haven't seen it well, yet. Well, people love that show. They don't. Know, I don't know if people love that movie. That was number six. Oh, actually, number five is also a Keanu connection, too. Oh, just tell me. You're Ooh. killing me. So number five is Any Given Sunday, starring Al Pacino. That made $75 million. That's got Jamie Foxx in it, right? But it's the devil advocate connection, right? Like Pacino played his dad. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Jamie Foxx is in okay. Any Given Sunday. The number one grossing football movie of all time, The Blind Side, made $255 oh, million, oh. starring Sandra Bullock, Sandra. who I was also thinking at the very beginning of this movie, have we ever had Keanu on a boat? And the first thing I thought of was Speed 2 Cruise Control, which we know he's not in, <laughs> but she's in. So I was thinking about her while watching this movie, because I was trying to think of Keanu's been on a boat before, and I don't know if he has. There was also an impressive deaf character in that movie, and there's one in this one as well. It would have been now, I just want Sandra Bullock to have been the, the head cheerleader, or the yeah. owner, or something, or in this movie. She was pretty hot back then, though. I mean, not, I mean, yes, of course she was gorgeous. I mean, like a commodity in Hollywood. I don't know if they probably would have been able to afford her. That's true, too. She was, yeah, she had a very fast rise. So, yes. Right. While we're sort of on the, the love 
angle, the love story angle, I do want to mention my favorite scene in the movie, which combines a few of our favorite things. It's the love story. It's him and Annabelle in the bar, but it's narrated by Madden and Summerall, yep. where they're talking about like Falco like trying to penetrate the defense, and not like in a sexual way, but just like, you know, <laughs> this defense has stopped him all night long. What do you do here, John? You go for it, Pat. You have to. But Falco's been shut down by this defense all afternoon. I'll tell you this, all it takes is one big play to get him back in the ballgame. And here goes Falco. And like they eventually, after they kiss, they cut to the field and it's also describing what happens in the field. He scores a touchdown there, which, you know, in the bar knows that he scored there too. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but I just love that. I, I, I think I've probably seen it somewhere else, but, you know, announcers announcing something that's not a sporting event, but like it's a sport. Like, I, I just, I love that. You have every step you take in the background also. <laughs> That reminded me of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, the, the Meatloaf song, like, in the middle, it's about kids trying to find somewhere to go have sex together, and, like, in the middle of it, they are having sex in the car, and they hear, like, oh, yeah, on yeah, the yeah, radio, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's, like, the announcers, that's where my mind went. He's running, when he's running the bases, oh, he's taking second, he's rounding third, and he scores! <laughs> Oh, so speaking of music, this is unrelated to everything else, but the movie sort of starts out with this angsty rock, and maybe it was just because I was listening to Mike's episode of Now and Again with Chris, episode, or side four, it was 4B, but I was just like, oh, this is like very early 2000s, bad generic rock over the opening credits, and I was just like, this is just the kind of movie it's going to be, very of the era. This was in and of itself a Now That's What I Call Music soundtrack yes like the good vibrations and the i will survive i mean it's through the decades but this is this like you mentioned suicide squad earlier with the introductions i mean the, only that movie this might be the only movie with more just random music drops in it just wall to wall like one song ends another's gonna begin i mean that's where the budget went i guess yeah that must be where the budget <laughs> went they end with the song heroes for yeah. crying out loud like that had to cost a pretty penny was that a yeah. cover that's not the original is it the original it's a cover it's a cover i think i think it's a cover too it didn't sound like maybe bowie, that's how yeah. they get away with it the voice yeah. didn't sound like bowie and i mean also right. what else do they have that uh think uh during the first or the second game they play taking care of business i mean like yeah there's so much random music. that wasn't a cover <laughs> so much random music though i mean i feel like i mean it's a football movie you really could do a lot with the soundtrack i mean you could just make it the crazy battlefield style music you know that like you know nfl sunday does yeah but... i'm surprised that we don't have any like gary glitter in this you know what i mean like that's like the that's like the song. yeah <laughs> that would have been nice some of that but yeah i was thinking just pick a song and make it the motif throughout the theme of the score you know like if you love i will survive so much why don't you play it in a whole bunch of different styles throughout the movie and a bunch of different tempos and make it the score or something i was just sort of like getting dizzy to be quite honest because like kind of mentioned before like they don't really blend in or you know relate to each other it's just like here's this song here's this song here's this song i'm like oh man it is a good idea i i will say on a personal note that uh i will survive gloria gaynor is personally like one of my top five favorite songs of all time and the scenes where you know they're dancing in the jail and singing it or you know he kind of puts it on the jukebox for a second and he's like oh no i didn't put that on somebody unplug it and they end the end the movie with it after they play heroes they go right back into i will survive and they're dancing in the end zone and you know just because i love the song i really enjoyed that i thought that, <laughs> that was fun as they're doing the electric slide in the end zone yep pretty much it, that so is the electric slide. Yeah. That, that, I, yeah I looked yeah. up because they said that like, that's you know one of the easiest dances to learn, and so that's probably why they did that, because you have all these big guys, actors, and also maybe football extras, that instead of learning like a choreographed dance scene, they just did the electric slide. What about the Super Bowl shuffle? That sort of looks like it goes along. The Super Bowl shuffle? Yeah, they could. <laughs> I don't, is that even a dance? It's just a song, right? Yeah, I mean, you uh, could, Is there a dance of, to that? Yeah. Sort of just shake in place? Yeah, exactly. Like you're cold? <laughs> I don't know if that music choice is the writer or the director or both or producers or whoever i was looking up what these guys did the writer only has five credits the only other thing that i've ever heard of is that anna paquin movie fly away home that geese movie if you remember from like the 90s okay which i remember loving when i was little i don't remember anything about it maybe i just had a crush on anna paquin i don't know but the director did pretty in pink and he did the great outdoors and now he does a lot of tv directing of like 
pretty major TV shows, so he's still working today. I don't know whose decision it was to drop all those music cues in, but you know, if, if you think that they work well, then maybe it's the director who's had a successful career. Then if you think that they didn't work well, then maybe it's the writer who's no longer working in Hollywood. So you could sort of either find someone to credit or blame you know, either way. Speaking of no longer working in Hollywood, Gene Hackman. Yep. I miss him, and... I, it was nice. I never seen this movie, so it was nice to see a performance of his I wasn't aware of. I mean, it was it was good to see Hackman. He looked like he was having a good time. He wasn't dressing like a modern coach either. He looked like a coach out of the seventies or something like that with his with his jacket and hat and everything. So I thought that was good. It was nice that he was there. I thought he really brought it. I feel like he stays the most like himself the whole movie. A couple of the characters, especially Falco, I feel like. His personality, especially on the field, kind of changes in the last act of the movie, whereas Hackman is really like the constant, well-rounded character. Yeah, I would agree. I'd agree. He's very consistent and stable. and Because, <laughs> yeah, you need someone there that's not going to change. That's sort of the rock, pretty much, because the rest of the team has to change, and you're dealing with so many other characters, too. It's like, that's that's another trouble with sports films, I feel, sometimes, is that there's just too many characters to, to deal with when you have, like, the entire team. you got to really play it smart, right, in all these different people. And since basically everybody on the team goes from hating each other to liking each other, and, like, everybody needs to arc at, at some point, most of them together in that prison scene, um, doing the electric slide after the bar fight, but it is nice to have Hackman, who's a great actor be solid in this movie and hold the role there yeah because like keanu kind of i mean i understand when you know shane falco you know he gets told that you know Mar- martell is crossed and that he's not going to be playing he kind of just like accepts it and that's that's kind of in keeping with his character but when martell does horrible that first half and then keanu comes in to take the reins in the second half of the dallas game he's like talking like like a commander you know he he starts like you know saying it's been great sharing the field of battle with you guys and you know saying stuff like chicks dig scars and glory is forever it's like it's kind of a little not to the character that he's been for the whole movie yeah that is one of the flaws here i feel is that you know we need him to be at this point in this movie so like let's just have him there and hopefully there'll be a joke or a laugh in the next few minutes and people won't think too hard about it <laughs> My only other note about this is that apparently, I don't know why this happened, but after the movie finished shooting, the Ravens offered Keanu Reeves a tryout. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine. <laughs> that to be just for publicity. Like, I can't imagine that would ever be, you know, for any kind of anything. Like, he's an actor. Like, he's he's also at this time 36 He's, he's yeah. 36 years old. Like, what are you going like, to... It just had to be like a, hey, like, let's get some camera crews in here and just like show Keanu throwing a couple balls and just see what's up. I mean, I would totally go... I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... I mean, I'm a Jets fan first, but a Ravens fan second. I would totally cross go full Ravens if Keanu Reeves <laughs> was the starting quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. I well, would, what's I, also crazy is that 2000, like, the Ravens had just won the Super Bowl. Like, they just... You know, they had one of the historic all-time great defenses. And so, like, hey, yeah, like, you know, next year uh, we're going to bring Keanu Reeves in as our starting quarterback and just, you know, go from there. I guess that whole thing was that, like, they didn't have a great quarterback. And so maybe they're like, we can even win with a Hollywood guy as our quarterback. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is before Flacco, so. Yep. It's funny. They're like, and then, you know, let's get that sumo wrestler, too, while we're at it. And the soccer player. <laughs> and Orlando Jones. Why not? That, that's that's so funny now that I think about it. You know, now we have Joe Flacco is the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, and we almost had Shane Falco. <laughs> Shane Flacco. Shane Flacco. Oh, man. I, I don't like Joe Flacco, but maybe, you know, if he changed his name to Joe Falco, I, I would definitely like him a lot more. Yeah, I definitely buy the jersey. Actually... <laughs> Uh, fun, funny enough, my, my older brother, who who lives in Baltimore, saw somebody with a Sentinels Shane Falco jersey at some oh football God. game a couple of years ago. Or I think he said it was last year. We were talking about this a few weeks ago when I mentioned to him that I, I was that. going to be doing this as a podcast. Yeah, apparently you can make it, or this guy found a way. Because he said it looked NFL quality with the colors and everything. I am down. Duke, do you have any other notes about the movie or about anything? I mean, any thoughts on Keanu as, as in general? Like, I mean, this is your platform to talk about Keanu or just this movie or whatever. Well, well, two things. One, I love Keanu Reeves. I have always loved Keanu Reeves, and I'm sure many of the people who come onto this podcast with you do. I think that just you don't 
hear all the time that a good, successful actor is the nicest guy on the planet and is, like, a sheer pleasure to work with. And I'm sure this has been brought up several times in your podcast. Like, I don't think so. Not really. Well, apparently, he can do whatever project he wants to do because he is the nicest guy on the planet and the easiest guy on the planet to work with. He's, like, the polar opposite of Val Kilmer, I hear. (laughs) And he also, like, donates all of his money because he, you know, to charity or to whatever because he already has more than he needs. I mean, compared to Cage, who was $12 million in debt, like, I think Keanu's got, like, a net worth of north of $400 million or whatever. So I'm pretty sure I've read that, like, he donates all of his money that he makes from any movie to charity now. So he's had a really rough life. I think we talked about that maybe really, really early on, but it's good to hear that this guy that we're, you know, spending hundreds of hours of our life <laughs> watching and talking about, you know, is actually like a good dude. Yeah, it's it's really a, a pleasure to hear that somebody so high up has, you know, some humble feelings about himself. You know, it's, it's, it's good to hear that kind of thing. The only other thing I would say um, is... I know it's not the best movie, but I really enjoy this movie. J- just for those last few minutes of any sporting movie where, or, you know, whatever it be, you know, Major League or the Mighty Ducks or whatever, where, you know, the underdogs, these guys that nobody would have bet on, nobody would have thought would do it win. But more importantly with this movie, these were all guys who blew their shot or yep. who who had no chance of doing anything. And then after the events of this movie, the only people who would ever care about the actions that they took were the their own. And the last line of the movie, or the close to the last line of the movie, is, is Gene Hackman narrating that, you know, greatness, no matter how brief, stays with a man. And I really yeah. like that. You know, it makes me happy. When the replacement players for the Washington Sentinels left the stadium that day, there was no ticker tape parade. No endorsement deals for sneakers or soda pop or breakfast cereal. Just a locker to be cleaned out and a ride home to catch. But what they didn't know was that their lives would be changed forever. You too, Shane. Because they had been part of something great. And greatness, no matter how brief, stays with a man. Every athlete dreams of a second chance. These men lived it. I love it. I think it's a perfect way to end the movie on because, again, like maybe that's just a, hey, we can't have this movie go longer, but just closing on Gene Hackman smiling at his team, right? And we have a voiceover and he's just proud of these guys. Like he, you know, he did his job, but like these guys did their job. This is something for them all to remember forever. Yeah, it really is. Just a fun movie. It, again, not not anywhere near Oscar-worthy or anything like that. But it's, <laughs> again, it's a little too long, but sitting down yesterday to watch it again for the first time in a while, it didn't seem like a chore at all. I, I definitely, even knowing every little last thing that happens in this movie, I enjoyed watching it again. Mike, any last thoughts? I was actually surprised how much I liked this movie. I mean, we, we run down a lot of problems with it, but somehow I still feel like it works in the end that even though it can be kind of tasteless at times like it doesn't cross any kind of lines that other films considered I feel like there are movies that are considered to be better comedies that go much further with stuff like gross out humor or just trying to be offensive for the sake of it and this doesn't really feel like it's trying to do stuff like that it just wants to be like a loose fun sports comedy and I feel like it achieves that in the end you know I mean maybe the premise might be a little too heavy (laughs) to begin with with the strike and everything like that but I mean once we once we get past that I feel like we said like the games are shot really well and interesting and entertaining and coming from someone who's not a big sports fan, I was engaged with the football in this movie. It made me go, okay, this is interesting and dramatic and, you know, action-packed. Yeah, it might not be the best film, but it's still funny, and I still liked it. And even though Shane Falco is a left-handed quarterback who always rolls out to his right for some good goddamn reason, who knows why, (laughs) and I mean, like, he would have to throw across his body every single time he does that, I'm willing to forgive that, because the rest of the movie, at least the second half, like, once things actually you know, get going. I really feel like once the team unites after that first loss, once they start working as a team, I think the movie starts working better. And from then on, like, the movie is a whole lot of fun and just, the, you know, enjoyable to watch. So good stuff. So Duke, thank you very much for joining us. We will see you back next time we do another actor for some movie from 2000. You know, keep it right here in the year 2000 for us. I look forward to it, guys. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see all the episodes 
episodes that we've done already. You can go back to Cage Club and listen to our Gone in 60 Seconds episode with Duke, and we'll talk about Cage and Angelina Jolie stealing cars. So that's kind of cool. Go to those two places. Lots of fun, free things for you to listen to and read and all sorts of stuff like that. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan Hayden. And we'll see you next time on Campus Club. Ready!